We're about to inspire you with the stories of real people. Welcome to A Current Life with your host, Jimmy Gould. In the next hour, you will meet one of the most interesting and successful people in the world. Listen as Jimmy gets their real story of success, both the highs and the lows. We hope that you take with you some of the ideas we will share today and embrace your own journey. Now, here's Jimmy. Welcome to another edition of A Current Life. I'm your host, Jimmy Gould, and I'm very excited and honored to introduce to you my special guest this week, Pat Shermer, NFL head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Coach, welcome to A Current Life. Well, it's uh, it's good to talk to you again. It seems like we were just having dinner, you know? Well, we were, and uh, I was quite impressed with uh, your organization and with you, and 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 you've done me the honor of coming on this show. This show's been going on now for maybe six months, and we've had some incredible guests, and I have uh, very much look forward to having you on the show. I know you've been tied up with a lot of different things because this draft is right around the corner. What I'd like to do is give a little uh, introduction for those people who aren't as familiar with you as I am. Um, Coach Shermer has been coaching football for over two decades, 12 years in the National Football League, He's been a part of seven playoff teams, winning five division crowns and appearing in the Super Bowl. He coached for Michigan State University, Stanford University, the Philadelphia Eagles, the St. Louis Rams, and is now the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Pat, uh, you've had an extensive background, and as my, young, as my oldest son told me, when he gets older and he knows exactly what he wants to do, which is to become a coach, and so... One of the things I want to do today is kind of understand the psyche behind that and what you went through growing up and what ultimately got you on your journey uh, of coaching and of being involved in, in the lives of so many people. And, and so welcome to the show. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And I, uh, this is an easy one to talk about myself. Um, <laughs> quite fr- you know, most often I'm, I'm really speaking on behalf of the Browns, you know, and, uh, but, uh, heck, my decision to be a, a coach, although it wasn't uh, what I trained myself to be, you know, I went to went to Michigan State. Actually, coming out of high school in the Detroit area, uh, I had my appointment to the Naval Academy. We had spent some time in the Navy when I was a young boy, and I, you know, I wanted to I wanted to run a battleship, but unbeknownst to me, you had to go be an engineer as well, and I didn't <laughs> want to do that, you know. But, uh, but anyway, so I had my appointment to the Naval Academy and. And being from the Detroit area, of course, Michigan, Michigan State, and Notre Dame recruited me. And um, but I kind of whittled it down. I felt good about George Perlis and the direction that uh, that program was going, and so I ended up going to Michigan State, partly so that my uh, family could also see me uh, play. And then, uh, but anyways, I went on and finished undergrad in four years, which is rare these days, I think. And then I actually played my fifth year. Uh, as a graduate student in an MBA program. So I thought I was going to go to New York City and and uh, conquer the world um, as a financial mogul, I guess. And then when I got a taste of coaching, uh, when I went to the Packers and didn't make it, I got a taste of coaching at the graduate assistant level and finished my MBA. I, I kind of realized, hey, this is, uh, this is what I want to do. You know, when you were a little boy growing up, and, and, and were you actually from Dearborn, Michigan? Is that where? Yeah, you know, I spent, we, we lived most of our time. I, I was actually born in Ann Arbor. Uh, my mother and father are both from the Detroit area. Um, for those that know it, my dad's from Downriver, Detroit, Wyandotte, and my mother's from the east side, 
uh, Gross Point. And uh, but anyways, we we're basically Detroit area folks. And then um, then when I went to Michigan State, um, I'm losing my train of thought here. But but they basically we're we're from the Detroit area. And then um, my dad was drafted. We went down and lived in Key West in the Navy for a while. And so wow. that's kind of what was that? What was that like? I tell you what, it was a great it was a great thrill. I was a first second grader at the time, and we lived on a base and we lived on a canal. And for me, life was about fishing and diving, and right. uh, that's where I got hooked onto my my second second passion of fishing. Of course, um, easy thing to do there. But yes, yeah, so no, it's good. one of my it's one of my loves too. So. It's an outstanding, and I'm concerned because when I when I when I go fishing, I've obviously taught my son and my daughters to fish. Um, there's a lot of a lot of young people now that aren't learning how to do it because there's nobody teaching them. It's, uh, well, you know, I had I had Alexandra Cousteau on the show, who was the granddaughter of Jacques Cousteau. Oh we man, talked a, we talked a lot about the waters, and she has a Blue Legacy project, and she was describing that in the time when she she was thrown in the water at the age of I think two and actually right. learned how to scuba dive before she was four. But wow. you know, she talks about the the way our our waters are today and, and how they've changed from you know, just the technology and just the way the world's changed and the climates and everything and that the fish are, you know, just not the same as they used to be. And and, you know, when I was growing up I loved to fish and I loved to catch the biggest fish I could find and I don't know. Maybe I'm just not that good a fisherman anymore because when I catch <laughs> fish today, they're not as big as I as they used to be when I was when I was younger. But I, God, there's nothing better than to get away and go out there on a on a on a boat. And I've done everything from fly fish to deep water. And mm-hmm. I tell you, it, it allows you to just get away from from the pressures of everyday life. You know, it's just it's a great sport. And I agree with you. My kids, both my kids, particularly my oldest son, loves to fish. So. I was fortunate that he grew up doing that. Well, it's a great, there's nothing like that feeling when you know, a lot of times you're not really sure what's on the end of the line, but then the uh, the thrill of catching them. I think you're just bigger, Jimmy. You know, I don't know if the fish are any smaller. <laughs> I, I would agree there's probably fewer of them. Uh, I remember as a boy growing up, the Jacques Cousteau, the, uh, yeah. the encyclopedias that um, I had, and Actually, was uh, growing up my before I decided that it was a tough tough way to make a living. Uh, I was going to be a marine biologist. I was. Uh, I just, you know, I just think it's just fascinating. And I'm fortunate. I'm one of the fortunate ones that doesn't get seasick. Uh, although I've got some family members that do that makes it tough on them. But oh, it's a great thrill. There's nothing well, like the water. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't tell you that I do great. When it's real rough, I've gone tuna fishing when it's real rough, and and you know, but but you know, a, a calmer sea I like. But I will tell you, there's <laughs> nothing better than catching your own dinner and having it cooked up, and and you know what you're getting. And uh, I'm curious about something now. When you were very little and growing uh-huh. up, and and what were some of the uh, challenges you faced? Uh, this show, you know, is a, what we call about the journey of life, the ups mm-hmm. and the downs, mm-hmm. and how to overcome them and get wherever you term your success to be it's not really meant to be looked at from the top and we get a lot right. of callers and i'm sure we will today and a lot of a lot of emails to talk about well i want to be a head coach of an nfl team or i, I want to be able to coach you know what do you think prepared you for this when you were younger growing up what were the things that really helped shape you? 
Well, I, I would imagine. Um, well, I don't imagine. I, you know, I had one. Of, uh, I was fortunate to have an upbringing where I was the oldest of four. My mother and father were both uh, stayed together until my father passed away. I, I would I would consider my upbringing to be somewhat somewhat normal from that standpoint, um, mm-hmm. or non traditional, or you know, or traditional. Um, but they were. Uh, they were pretty much blue collar ideals uh growing up um, you know respect for authority um, the work hard every day you know nothing's out of reach if you want to work for it and so uh a lot of those principles um we live by you know for us you know we as catholics we we never miss mass on sunday you know we i remember my father saying and he was proud of part of the big inspiration that we would always go was, listen, I don't care if you see this as the end of your week or the beginning of the next, but we're going. Right. And it was one hour that we sat together and typically we would, there would be a meal after or before. And so, uh, there were some, there were some recentering things that we always did. Um, and, and so I, and I never, I never ever, um, forgot the the whole work hard part. Um, I do think we're 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 starting to um, I don't know raise um, a society of, of I don't know young people that I, I see sometimes a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see. Um, I remember in the old days, if you wanted to do something in the spring, you had to learn how to hit a baseball because exactly. if you couldn't hit a baseball, then you couldn't play. So. Right. But now there's so many other choices that it it's easier now. If you can't hit a baseball, I'll go play this, or can't do this, I'll do this. Where I don't know, I I don't know how to probably uh, talk about it in a educated way. But you really had to you really had to grind and, and stick to things, which uh, I'm glad I learned. Well, you had you know what I love about what you your term recentering. I mean, I don't think we recenter anymore. Uh, obviously, we're all going through difficult times right now around the world. We're more of a global sure. village. And, you know, uh, uh, I think that the family dinner, especially on Sunday, which is, sure. was, I mean, in our family, if you, you know, you, there was no excuse. You were there, you had a mm-hmm. seat, and there were six mm-hmm. kids, and mm-hmm. you darn well better have been there and be there on time and have something to offer and something to talk about. And, and, and everybody wanted to, you know, went around the table and we talked and, and, and it did create a sense of community and a sense of, of that you belonged to something that was important, that had values. And uh, I don't see that. I know we talk about it a lot in our families, but how many families are, had their parents stay together and how many families really recenter and kind of take a look at what are the important. And at the end of the show, I'll ask you, you know, kind of what the meaning of life is, because to me, you know, there's there's broader, bigger picture things that 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 drive us. I mean, uh, you know, uh, it isn't just, you know, the, the day stuff that we're faced with, uh, one foot in front of the other. But it sounds to me that you had incredible, strong influencers in your life that taught you the value of hard work and, uh, and that you could, that anything was possible and that, and the, and the, and the broad, important part of the spiritual part of your life of, of God, whatever that meant to you. And, and sure. those are the things that have, help propel you and and I would think those are big parts of your coaching uh psyche. Well, I think they they run hand in hand because regardless of um 
what you believe or how you believe, there's, oh, I guess it's like slaloming down a hill. You know, there's there's pulls that you, you know, and it kind of helps guide you. And the structure of what we believe in, I think, is what gives us the foundation, just like when you develop a philosophy in coaching. There's certain things that are firm and hard principles that you won't that you won't bend on. And, you know, you can sit with somebody and let them challenge you on why you believe that, but at the end of the day, you just do and because you know it's right and you trust that it's right. You know, and I think, I think if you don't have some of those and you're always searching for everything, then you, I think you get lost a little bit. You know, and I think somewhere, somewhere along the line, we all just got to give it up and say, hey, listen, this is what I believe in. And this yeah. is what I'm not willing to challenge. All right. And it's, and then, and then, then it gives you something to grab onto. And I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not a theologian. I don't pro- profess to be. I'm like everybody. I get caught up on the issues of the day because we have to. But I know as a as a father and a husband, uh, the most centering um, events that we have in our family because we have four children between 19 and nine. One's in college right now. But the most centering events for all of us is when we can we can sit and, and share a meal. And I think that it doesn't matter what it is. It could be hot dogs. But right. the fact that you, you make the effort to do it. And, and I know Jennifer, and, and when we have those times, because for six months out of the year, it's very tough for me to get home. Sure. But this, this time of year, of course, I, I, you know, I, I, I come in earlier, of course, but I make the effort to get home so that we can, you know, keep to at least having as many meals as we can together. Well, I um, I know we're going to talk more about some of those influences, but I can tell you, and, and I mean this, uh, people that know me know that um, um, we have an expression in our office, what's on our lungs is on our tongues, and uh, the minute <laughs> I had the opportunity Good. to meet you, I was really uh, taken by your quiet uh, optimism and and strength and 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 for our listeners you know we met when when frosty rucker became a brown and 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 a member of your club and sure. and, and was excited to do so but more importantly that that there was an organization that you had put together along with mike holmgren that that really uh spoke to a to an environment that you know, Frosty felt special, and he also felt that if he worked hard and dedicated himself, that that it would go somewhere. And you impressed me with 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 what I saw in you, and 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 you just had a kind of uh, approach to life that I I really felt would, that our listeners would would learn from. Um, I'm curious, when you were young, did you play football? Was that I know you went on and played in college, but sure. did you, what, what age were you when you when you kind of found a love for football well i was uh I, I i've always been a football fan and i i probably did the traditional thing for a young guy in in, in a suburban detroit neighborhood I, you know you played football in the fall and played baseball in the spring and and in the winter you either played basketball or wrestled i mean those were really the choices mm-hmm. you know if you were really fast i guess you could run track or, or cross country but some of the sports that i see have made a huge you know, impact on um, the United States were not part of our growing up. I mean, I don't, I don't ever remember a golf club or a tennis racket or any of those types of things. But um, you know, I think uh, I've always been, always been drawn to sports and the competition and 
um, the preparation um, that that sports is, and then and then the thrill that you get from winning. And I think that's what always kind of drew me to it. Um, my uncle Fritz, actually, my father was a um, he was a small college All American at Albion College in football, and then he went on to uh, uh, be a orthopedic surgeon. And then my oh. uncle Fritz was um, was a longtime coach, you know, won a Super Bowl at Green Bay, and that's really sure. how I met Mike Holmgren was through Fritz when I used to go hang around the the Green Bay office when I was working at Michigan State, but. Um, no, I've always sports is a huge part of my life, and I and I frequently talk about how fortunate I am that that I can work in a profession and make a living at something that really is a hobby, and I think mm. that's that's um, I think if we could all search that out, it's funny because uh, when I finished my MBA, I, fin- I I finished a year of graduate assistantship at Michigan State, and then. I said, okay, I'm going to put this business degree to work. So I ended up going and working at uh, IBM. I was a marketing rep for for a year. And and so on Sundays, I was living at home in the Detroit area. I was engaged to Jennifer at the time. And so on Sundays, my dad and I would watch football. And we'd watch football. And, you know, if you are a coach, you can't watch it and not be analytical. Yeah. <laughs> and so eventually he said to me, he said, number one, he said, he says, you love this girl, marry her before somebody else does. That was number one. And then he said, secondly, he said, why the hell aren't you coaching? Right. And and I think though that conversation kind of re-inspired me to, mm-hmm. to, really, to really do two things that have shaped my life immensely. And, uh, you know, I think there was some wisdom there. You know, I, I had, uh, and I don't have the knowledge that you have uh, uh, in football. I, I grew up playing baseball and tennis, and sure, and 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 you know, my dream was to be a pitcher or go make motion pictures, uh, which I, the second part I achieved. The first part I hurt my arm doing it. But you know, I I don't like watching football with anybody else with me because I I look at it. I've been around some of the great minds in football for because going back to the old USFL days and some of the the ninety players I've represented and I love watching it and analyzing it and trying to figure out what what you know what you're going to call for your next play and why you called it and what you're going to do and all that I mean I just love the scientific part the technical part of the game I just right. find it so many you know because it's a matter of degrees everything and and. And you got to be steps ahead. It's a little bit to me like playing chess, you know. And I love mm-hmm. chess, so you know, you you mm-hmm. obviously. I mean, as I read through a lot of the, uh, I, I, when we do a tremendous amount of research here, and and we found out that you were the first graduate student football player at the university, and, sure. and that you were also the co-captain as a senior when the Spartans defeated USC in the Rose Bowl. So uh, you right. got to tell me a little bit about that. I mean, that must have been really exciting when you won the Rose Bowl. Well, it was a thrill, and it's something that hadn't been done there at Michigan State for for quite a while. And uh, no, it was a great thrill, you know, especially because even though I lived in Key West for a couple of years, uh, we were basically a bunch of Midwestern boys, and so we traveled to California. And uh, holy cow, did we have fun that week! You know, I, I'm surprised we had the energy to play the game. You know, it was like. You know, for somebody that never been really to California or traveled right. much, that that was quite a thrill. And then, then to find a way to 
sneak out a 17 to 14 victory was was uh, was a th- was a thrill. It was a great thrill. And you know, when I went to Michigan State at the time for for somebody from a Detroit area product, it was it was much more acceptable and attractive that to go to Michigan because at the time Michigan with Bo was on top and George Perlis had just taken over for Muddy Waters and sure. MSU had gone through some some deals but um so my decision to go there you know they were like well Michigan must not have recruited you you know and <laughs> so there was a real perception that this was a place at least football wise that you know needed to uh make a comeback so I was proud of the fact that I helped reestablish the winning tradition there, and I was just one of a lot of guys that had made that commitment. But another, you know, that's a long way of saying it was a great, great, great thrill to win the Rose Bowl and and do it in a way where we had to build it up. Well, you're talking to a guy who's my father, my sister, and my brother were all Michigan graduates. Mm-hmm. I, my business partner is a Michigan graduate. Sure. You know, and I went to Wisconsin, so I, I and I've been to Michigan State, and I'll tell you, you are so right about what you say. The competitive aspect within the Big Ten of, between some of these schools, I mean, is incredible. I mean, even the Ohio State-Michigan thing is just way out of control. But, you know, you understand it when you've been there and you see the intensity of the 100,000 people screaming sure. and yelling, and it's uh, it really is a, a special uh, part of growing up and and it sounds like you did it right and and you had great influencers around you was there any particular obstacle or injury or thing that happened yeah. when you yeah. were younger that that changed directions for you well i uh well when i went to michigan state i'd actually planned cuz baseball was really my first love um a lot like you and i was a lefty and i could hit the ball pretty decent and you know i so I was the first baseman. I was the third pitcher. So I get in the rotation a little bit. But I had planned uh, that I was going to try to play baseball at Michigan State as well. And then in my freshman year at Michigan State, it was one of those where George had taken over and he was running guys off. And so some of us were playing probably before we should. Mm-hmm. And I ended up uh, starting and playing and getting hurt as a freshman. So I tore up a knee. And then actually that's when I was telling you I got it uh, – uh, I got it reconstructed by Frank Noyes there in Cincinnati. Sure, and um, sure. I'll never forget it. One Lytle place. Uh, yeah. you, know, you know how you remember certain things. Uh huh. One Lytle place, and then um, I'm looking so at what, my window. What it forced me to do was I had, right to, I had to uh, I had to redshirt my second year. You know, which put a lot of things in perspective. You know, when you you can't compete, and so um, no, you. You go through some things mentally as you fight back from an injury, and I do think it's important for all athletes to have to do it. It's it, you don't wish it on anyone, but there is something. Um, oh, I don't know. It helps galvanize what you really believe in when you got to deal with something physical that's keeping you from letting you play. You know. Well, certainly, uh, my youngest son, who's my sixteen-year-old, uh, six-foot-seven basketball player and right. and football player. Uh, hurt both ankles this past year, and one of them was probably, you know, breaking is one thing. A, a deep sprain can actually take longer to heal, and, and he went sure. through a lot of agony and in, in, in having it worked on. And I remember looking at him and, and wondering, is he going to make it through this? I mean, to see, you know, because it was a defining moment for him 
when he would come back and tell me, you know, well, I just don't know that it's as strong as it was. And I said, it's probably stronger. But, you know, mm-hmm. he had to trust himself. And I think you're right. I think, I think an injury or any adversity, if it doesn't kill you, only makes you stronger. And, no and, question. You know, and, and I would think as a coach, especially in, in when you get to be in the elite category that you're in, uh, when you think about how many people are on this planet and how many teams there are and how many head coaches there are, you've you got to have a philosophy that is born out of your experiences and stick to it because you're going to meet all kinds of people from different walks of life who probably maybe haven't faced certain things. You know, they've been on a perfect ride and all of a sudden, you know, the – the floor comes out from underneath them, and and you really see that they're naked to the world, and you know they don't know who to turn to. And I think a lot of the guys coming out of college today, especially underclassmen, they're not prepared emotionally or mentally for what they're going to face. No, I don't think they are. And I've been around more than one pro athlete that's had to uh, fight back from a major injury, and and you know it's it's very interesting. You know, you you look at sometimes. Um, just from a media standpoint, um, or you look, uh, you know, a player comes, say, from a big-time college program um, where the people writing the articles about them are, you know, are basically students like, like themselves, and everybody's everybody's writing all the nice stuff. And everything. and then they come to the NFL, and obviously, uh, if you don't win every game, then there's some articles on the other side of the coin. And, you know, mentally and emotionally, you got to be able to deal with that because we tell them don't read it, we tell them don't listen to it. But unfortunately, you know it it gets to them, and they they that's part of being a pro is is dealing with that and and uh, keeping keeping your focus um, and knowing that the systems and what you're trying to do is right. And and then the other part of it is is then coming back from injury, which is another thing that professionals need to need to learn how to how to handle and so there are some challenges that these 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 players face and then the physical and the mental grind year after year after year um although a lot of people wish they could be them uh, and they say these these athletes go through a great deal so i ask you an obvious question that that i hear um from time to time do you look at an athlete, I mean, obviously, you know, someone who has incredible talent, size, mm-hmm. and speed, and all those things stands out, but do you, how much of the heartbeat of that individual matters to you if if you just know that there's no way they're going to die? I mean, you know, just, and you yeah. see it in certain athletes. I, I've represented some that maybe don't run quite as fast, but you just know they're going to be the first one to the ball. I mean, how does that play into your thinking, especially, you know, you have 13 picks in this draft, I think, or 12 sure. or 13, and sure. you know, how does that play into your thinking on that? Well, we obviously look for that. I mean, that's that's that rare quality, that intangible quality that, you know, helps a, a guy overachieve or an underdog make it to the top. And if you can get that, the the rare combination is that, that philosophy in an athlete with with the, the proper skill and ability that they need to play the position, and so we we obviously we scout that we hunt for it, and you know we think it's very very important. You know we try to give every player a a, a grade, and that is a that is a part of it. And, you know we we try to find out from at least when we're we're talking to uh, 
you know, coaches and trainers and scouts and we try to find out if this this player that we're looking at does he really love football and you know there's a because if he doesn't then it's you know or it's just another thing that he's good at then eventually you know he may lose his focus and then then that's of course when uh then they just can't get it done yeah the problems set in and and take over well we're going to take a short break uh we're here with Coach Pat Shermer, head coach of the Cleveland Browns. You're listening to A Current Life. I'm Jimmy Gould, your host. Uh, the show is brought to you by Smartwater, Ohio Midwestern College, and Ads Baseball Networks. Please stay tuned. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Do you have career aspirations that seem beyond what you think you can afford? At Ohio Midwestern College, you can transform your hard work into a bachelor's degree in business administration, education, or Christian ministries. Call 1-888-887-4300 or check out www.omw.edu to learn how you can afford a fully accredited degree today. Ohio Midwestern College. Affordable. Professional. Genuine. Our open enrollment starts today. Call us now at 1-888-887-4300 or on the web at www.omw.edu. That's 1-888-887-4300 or on the web at www.omw.edu. Tune in to the Hoffman Connection for inspiration, a life of passion and purpose. Hosts Raz and Grossi and Ed McLoone will bring you ways to remove the blocks in your life that are holding you back. Along with their guest experts, Raz and Ed will use their experience and expertise to help you learn to get closer to what matters to you most. And by doing so, improve your life and the lives of others. The Hoffman Connection can be heard live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to A Current Life with Jimmy Gould. If you have a question or comment for Jimmy or his guest today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd like to send an email, the address is acurrentlife at yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to A Current Life. This is your host, Jimmy Gould, and today I have a very special guest here with me, Coach Pat Shermer, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Uh, Pat, let me ask you before we get into a little bit more about um, the Browns. You coached at Michigan State University for about nine years and then Stanford for a year. How did you really get started in coaching, and how did those opportunities come about? Well, I think I uh, obviously have always been inspired by sports, and then uh, when I, you know, ended up playing football and then going to Green Bay, I didn't make it, and I came back and then I got a real taste for coaching as a graduate assistant. So that that's where it started. And then George Perlis, of course, gave me my first coaching job at Michigan State. I was a graduate or I was a tight end coach at the time. 
Hmm. And so I just, it's, it's one of those things you just get hooked on. Um, you know, it's, um, and then, and then like, like anybody in a career, you know, you go make your bones. And so you, you dig in and you try to learn as much as you can. And, you know, and then you try to balance the enthusiasm for what you're doing with the ambition and try to just keep learning. And hopefully as time goes on, you, you know, you get opportunities to move up the, move up the, the ladder. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I think it's, it's so it's so satisfying for coaches to see uh, players develop, to be able to work with a player on a day-to-day basis, really the issues of the day, and then see them go out and have success on Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And I think that's that's what kind of hooked me to it. And then and then I really do. Uh, the reason I did it was is I found, and I think it's rare. I changed my profession after a year. I went from trying to be a businessman to to being an educator and I was fortunate that I that I made that switch early in life and uh heck for for having a and I'm going to exaggerate a little bit but for having a uh, MBA in finance I think I've only written a handful of checks in 21 years so <laughs> I yeah you know Jennifer you know pretty much runs the household and handles that and uh, you know so anyways I just I just said, hey, listen, I want to do something I love, and then I know if I, I'm good enough at it, and I work hard enough at it, I'll be able to uh, feed the family. And so that's that's kind of where it started. And then um, then you just put your head down and dig in and trust that you made the right decision and don't look back, and I think that's what I did. Um, I'm fortunate that however I was raised, nothing I don't really get scared of about things unless it involves the health and welfare of my family, and you just let it go. And I think that's that's kind of the approach that I took. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, first of all, I I've, I coached six years in in my in 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 the club for the school for where both my kids went, and sure, we had four practices a week, and we we had walkthrough on Saturday morning, and then we had the game. Uh, usually it was on that Sunday or Saturday, depending upon the age. And uh-huh. I had applied a playbook that was probably 100 pages with so many different schemes. It was ridiculous. And I was also the <laughs> offensive coordinator. And and Mike Brown saw the playbook one day because I was it, uh, I was you know I'd coached his grandkids in soccer and we were right. talking and and he said to me he said this is a little involved you know uh, uh, you put a lot of time into this and I said to him. There's not a greater joy in my life than coaching young kids. Uh, I would give up everything to do that. And when it ended after six years because they went into the school system, I have to tell you, I was at a loss of what to do with myself. And I really, uh, it was funny, it actually eventually led me to climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, uh, you know, like your father-in-law did. And, and, And it led me to starting to look at my life as to what are some of the other things that, I would like to do out of my comfort zone. And I think, you know, when you talk about, you know, you had your degree and, you know, in finance and, and, you know, you were obviously uh, could probably done anything with your life. And and I wonder, you know, uh, because you're sitting in a position today that I respect and admire and quite frankly, envy. Uh, I'm curious though, what's the degree of difference between the uh, ecstasy of victory and the agony of defeat? Well, it's I can I can honestly say that the the 
the losses hurt more. Yeah, they 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 hurt, and I think they'll they'll always hurt when you when you lose or you don't you don't have success. Um, I would say though the toughest thing that 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 I have to deal with, and you know, fortunately I have a wonderful wife who we were friends first, and then I've got great kids who have found a way to they're they're all achieving and living happy lives. It's easy for me to, and 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 I'll tell you a story here in a moment about my oldest daughter who kind of had a sit down with me and said, "Dad, you've become disconnected." Ooh. The hardest challenge. The hardest challenge is, is because this can consume you. This just job can consume you, and as much as as you love the people at home, it's easy where you're just kind of on the surface with them and. And getting into the details at work, and so she reminded me. You know, we were we went to St. Louis, and so I went from being a position coach to a coordinator. So I really dove in, and um, and at that time she had she had finished high school, my daughter Allie, and she went to um, uh, Boston College. And so after a year or so, you know, we'd talk on the phone, but we unfortunately we didn't get into the details of what she was going through and she was doing well there was nothing really to speak of other than the fact that she wanted a little stronger connection with me and um, so in the summer after her first year we we sat down and it was an eye-opener for me because I kind of felt like I was connected but I really wasn't and uh, I, I, I give her credit for having the oh I don't know the guts so to speak to bring it to my attention and and now I, I, I try not to ever let that be the case. But you, you know, I, I would think that balance, and it's a question I've asked of a lot of the entertainers we've had on, uh, how you balance, you know, your, um, you know, how you, how you really balance that, that your family life and your professional life. Because I would think that it would be really, it's hard sometimes. I mean, because there's no middle ground here. I mean, you know, you play to win on Sunday, on any given Sunday or whatever, sure. Thursday now or whatever. And you know, and and uh, it's it's got to stay with you. And and you know, you have the support of family and and of people who trust and and aren't afraid to tell you something. When mm-hmm. you lose your way through that. It's important to have people around you that that are like your mentors, right? Isn't that something you've had in your life as well? I mean, with the places you've been, and I know I have it in my life because sometimes it's very difficult to 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 go it alone, so to speak. No question, no question. And I think the important thing is is the strength of the relationship where they're willing to tell you what they really think. And I think that's that's what I admire about Allie for saying that she. You know, she wanted a, she wanted that relationship to be closer. I get the same thing from Jennifer, if uh, my wife, if uh, she sees that that I'm getting a little distracted or getting, or not being able to come home and reengage, even if it's for ten minutes. Um, she, you know, we try to, we try to remind each other because it is, and and with all that you've achieved, achieved, Jimmy, I can, you you've probably had to deal with some of these issues as well. You know that. You know, yeah. once you're you get to a certain level of doing things, and there's a big demand for your time, and unfortunately, you you spend time, at least in their eyes, at times working with everybody else's kids but your own, and 
You know, it's uh, it's important. And I think, you know, going back to recentering on Sunday and the, and the family meal, if we just keep those events in our lives where we force ourselves, then it then it then it's natural. You know, but I think if we lose track of some of that, then then we can get way out of whack, and then then who knows what happens. You know. Well, a lot of that comes down to the spiritual grounding as well, I assume, and, and family and, you know, uh, things like that, because uh, it, it's, it, uh, you know, I, I hate to lose, and but I would rather, yeah. I would rather, I mean, uh, to me, uh, um, you know, we, we buy businesses, we buy companies, we have plays that within... You know, literally the same day, that night, we go, you know, we open up a beautiful Broadway play that, you know, costs $14 million and people devoted a year's worth of their time and the curtain goes up and you have this great performance and you get a standing ovation. The next morning or at three o'clock in the morning, you get the review and some, some one person kills it. Right. You know, and you stand here and you're... I love like, that. You know, <laughs> you blow the little whatever that's called on New Year's Eve time, and it's kind of like, well, that was fun. We just blew that one. And you want to take the guy and strangle him. But the truth of the matter is everything has a risk to it. And, and, sure. And, and, and I think that, that to do what you do, you're putting it all on the line. And it, and it is on your back. No matter, you know, I, I was impressed with the fact that when, when Frosty Rucker and I came to see you, we, we sat and met and spent time with not only uh, Randy Lerner, you know, your owner, but, but with five former head coaches that are part sure. of your team. And, and sure. all of them seem to really have an unbelievable close connection with one another and, and well, a great support system. Well, and I think that's, that goes back to what I believe about people. Um, when I got this job, I wanted to accumulate outstanding coaches and guys that, that I believed in, and not only outstanding coaches, but the right fit for the Cleveland Browns. And that means that uh, that sense that you felt with all these um, high-achieving guys that can get along, that's important because um, if you're not willing to check your ego at the door, then eventually problems will, will develop. Um, but I got a lot of guys here that understand what we want to do and know how to uh, help the Cleveland Browns get there. And uh, fortunately for me, I'm not intimidated by the fact I've got a lot of guys around me that have done things. In fact, um, made an effort to make that happen because I I believe in their experience and um, I think it's the right thing for our team. That was the thing that impressed me the most about you was that you uh... you 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 encouraged yourself or you you allowed yourself to have people around you that that had done those things and and you were completely comfortable in it and and we, you know we quite frankly we hadn't seen that before i mean we really hadn't seen that in i've been around every organization in, in this mm-hmm. league as well as in the nba and, and major league baseball and i i've i'd not seen that before and I think there was a there was a, a checking of the egos. Nobody was trying to get over anybody. There was a comfort level and just all the way down. And and I was really impressed with it. I, I um, um, felt that that when you have that, you know, you have a sense of of who you are. And if you have a sense of who you are, it it will filter on through the organization. And and you can have a humanistic kind of view. To life and one that says, "Hey, look, we're going to work hard. We're going to give it everything we got, and 
we're going to work together as a team. And isn't that the, that's really what the chemistry is of bringing people together and making it work? No, it's no question, no question. And I think at the end of the day, you know, if if we get this thing winning the way we want it to, and we we think it can happen, then whatever anybody wants from it, it'll be there. And I and I think that's the important thing. And going back to what you were saying about uh, accomplished guys, hey, we all work for somebody. And yeah, you know, I'm uh, when we get this thing going the right direction, the guy I'm going to feel most happy for is is, is Randy Lerner because he put his trust and faith in us to to do it. And so, um, you know, that'll be the way it is. And I'm sure my kids will feel, and my wife will feel good for me, um, you know, for us. And, but, you know, where I sit here, you know, there's, they've, the Browns have had to overcome some challenges and I'm, I'm very happy to uh, be sitting here to help, help make a difference and change that. Did it take you, um, uh, or I should say, how long did it take you to really get comfortable in your new position with the Browns? And 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 were there any particular? Because you moved, obviously, and mm-hmm. and you know that's moving family and 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 everything. And is there a is that a particularly hard part of what the job is as a head coach? Is that one of the things that maybe that you would point out, or, or what is the hardest part of your job? Yeah. Well, I think just coaching in general, you know, the the shelf life for a coach at, a, at an organization is not very long. Um, if you win a lot, then you get you get promoted through, hopefully, and then you move. If you don't win a lot, that's the other side of the coin that we all know. Um, you, you're forced to move, um, but the the families the families go through a lot. You know, when I took the job here. Pretty much like I took when I took the job in St. Louis, you know, I moved to Cleveland, just like I'd moved to St. Louis in uh, January and February, and and I lived here in town for six months before the family showed up. Um, so there's a little bit of a challenge there. Um, it's hard on the family because um, it was the right thing to do to let them finish school um, and then come in the summer. Uh, but what happens is is I'm living in a new town, and I'm moved on, and they're back home packing, and they haven't been able to visually and emotionally moved yet. So there's a little it's 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 tougher on them, I think. Um, and I got a lot of respect for coaches' wives and kids. Plus, the other side of it is, is trust me, I can handle whatever whatever happens. But unfortunately, under uh, if if we lose a football game, um, your kids hear about it a little bit. And so they got to learn how to deal with it, and I think that's that's something that you just do. You just learn how to handle it. And uh, so, my son did something. Fu- my son said something funny one time where I I, I saw on my cell phone that the uh, my uh, so Kyle was calling me. my son's name's Kyle. So I, I saw on the cell phone that Kyle was calling me. So I picked up the phone and and it was after we had lost and and I said hello and. In the background, I could hear Kyle saying, "Hey, uh, Dad, it's not me. It's uh, you know, it's Tommy Smith." I said, "Oh, really?" He said, and then I could hear him in the background saying, "Go ahead, Tommy. Tell him what you told me." You know, <laughs> you know, and not to my surprise that he didn't say anything to me at the time. But you know, it was just a one little way for for Kyle to handle it, which I which I thought was pretty clever, actually. 
Yeah, yeah. Who's criticizing that you tried to try to get a first down on a fourth down play or something <laughs> yeah, like that? Right. Yeah, yeah. He I didn't mean, want us to kick the field goal. I will so. tell you, <laughs> co- uh, coaching uh, uh, kids that are that are in youth football and dealing with their parents and losing, which we lost to the finals of, of a tournament. I mean, literally, yeah. because I refused to lay down and, and accept the tie, which in those days they didn't. You know, they had sure. ties and. So we went all out, and the quarterback throws the ball, gets it intercepted. They run it back, and my kid's the last one to try to get to him, and somehow he didn't get to him. We lost the game, and the kids all looked at me and went, why do, why do you just go for the tie? And I said, well, I asked you guys what you wanted to do. I, they said, we want to go. We're out here to win a football game. But we right. didn't think you were that stupid to throw the ball. You know? and we like, okay, well, thanks for telling me. You know, kids won't lie to you. That's the one thing. I mean, no, they, they won't. tell you what's on their mind, and that's it. And they don't care whether it hurts your feelings or not. So it's, uh, well, I'm curious, what was it like um, going to the Super Bowl? Because, uh, you know, we all know it from a certain level, and I've been to a number of them. But what was that experience like for you? Well, it was a, obviously, it's the pinnacle of our profession and something that, Every fall when we we put a team out there, we're all we're all we're all striving for that. So, no, it was a great thrill. I think it's like anything that happens. Um, you know, you work, 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 and then it's there, and then it's done. Um, I would say this: that's one game we're losing it. I don't know what the thrill of victory is there yet, but I, I will say this: losing it is tough. That was tough. Oh, we ended up losing to the Patriots that year in a close game. Sure, but but. Now to be to be involved with the the final game was a, was a great thrill, but what it is, it's a motivating motivating factor to 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 get back, and I think that's the thing. Um, in terms of the game itself, you know, I think, and, and you were a coach, so you know, you know, once you get beyond the pomp and circumstance of it, and you kick the ball off, it's a game, um, and I don't want to understate that, uh, sure. but. You know, and once you once you get involved with it. Now, prior to it, though, it was quite a it was quite a quite an experience, of course. Let me ask you. So, um, you've coached obviously um, some great players, and, and mm-hmm. especially your your time with Sam Bradford was terrific, sure. and Stephen Jackson, and Donovan McNabb, and Chad Lewis, and mm-hmm. soon Frosty Rucker. So, my question to you is: uh, Have they turned around and said to you, "Thank you for what you've given us"? Is that something you feel? Do you feel there's a closeness like sure. like there should be? I mean, does that happen very often, or is there a lot of more separation? No, I think the ones that – the players that I've become – and I don't want to say close to because you have dinner or you mm-hmm. you go on vacation. To get, I think the, the players that you've um, had an impact on their lives, um, some of them will actually say, hey, thank you, Coach. You know, and then there's other ones that will will stay in touch with you and ask how you're doing, and that's their that's their way of showing you that they appreciate what you know what help you gave them. Because I think they, you bring in and, and you've worked with actors and movie stars, and obviously you've represented football players. You know they they want to believe and trust in in people that can help them. And they really are searching for uh, those people that they can trust, and and I think that's the important thing, and that's really the bond you have as a coach. You know, the, the players don't work for you. You know, we 
the players are the ones that do it, and we try to encourage them and inspire them and educate them and inform them on how they can do their job better so the team can win games, and then they can do all the things in life that they've always dreamed of. And I think that's that's why it's so important that you, as coaches, you just stay on top of your game. I, I'm sure you've interacted with folks that are trying to tell you and inspire you, and you know they don't know what they're talking about. So uh, many, yeah, many times. So you shut them out, and even yeah. though you're respectful and you, and you know you, you probably don't say it mentally, you shut them out. And and I think, you know, I I've always struggled to make sure that what I'm telling them is going to help them. And uh, I think that's then I think then you can at least start to build those relationships that you were talking about. Let me ask you, with just a few minutes left, uh, I always ask our guests, and we've had some interesting answers. We've had a lot of people you're familiar with and know on the show. I always ask them as we get towards the end of the show, and we have just a couple minutes left, and uh, what would you say as you look back on your life and on your journey that you feel the meaning of life is? Meaning of life? that's That's a very good question. I guess the the thing that I guess the thing that um, drives me is I go back to those principles that I learned, and I don't I don't challenge them in my own mind. And I've told this to my kids in the past, and I think it's the same for for me. Is listen, go out there and take a full swing, and at the end of the day, if you can make the world better. If you can inspire somebody to do something good, then then you made a difference, and I think that's the key. You know, live a live a principled life, work your fanny off, and and try to make the world a better place. And then I think everything. Then I think you have a chance to 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 uh, work your way through life and be happy. You know, I, if you say it's because I want to make this amount of money, or I want to accomplish these things, then I think we may all disappoint ourselves but if we just find a way to make the world better and and stick to our guns on the things we believe in then then i think it's what keeps me going well i um it's an answer that runs parallel with with some of the other answers cuz cuz really we're here and and we got to make it a better place when we leave. And and, and nobody said it was easy. Uh, uh, you you're you really are an inspiration. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, um, I love the way you approach it. You approach it with a very humanistic point of view. And and I think people are very fortunate in Cleveland. And I know I know Frosty feels really excited about what he's going to face. You're preparing for a draft, and the fact that you've taken this time at a critical time with. All the draft picks ahead of you. I wish you much success with that. Uh, we've had the pleasure of having Pat Shermer, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns, on our show. Uh, one, thank you so much for your time, uh, for sharing your journey with us. Uh, I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning into A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. And this is your host, Jimmy Gould, signing off. And please join us next Friday from 3 to 4 Eastern Daylight Time for our next inspiring episode. And until next time, I wish each and every one of you a journey filled with hope, inspiration, success. And to you, Coach Pat Shermer, uh, it's been a real pleasure to start to get to know you, and I hope we have many years of friendship and that uh, we have an opportunity maybe to uh, have one of our new guys join your team. And 
whatever happens, I wish you much success with you and your family and what you're doing, and thank you for your time. Thanks, Jimmy. Come to Cleveland. Let's, we'll eat some more of those stuffed peppers. I, I will look forward to that. That was <laughs> quite a thrill, and uh, all the best to you over the next week, my friend. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for A Current Life on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please tune in to another great program with your host, Jimmy Gould, next Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time. We'll see you next week.